Um, I'm going to have us be looking at a very familiar story in the Gospel of Mark. It's in chapter 2. Some of you have probably heard it way many more times than you want to hear it. And some of you may have never, ever heard it for your horror. And it's in the the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, first 13 verses. And we're going to look at this story, and today I'm going to read the text, and then I'm going to show a short video. But I really, what I would like for us to be able to do today is to, to use our imaginations, if you would, to try to really picture the scene. Be a part of the scene. Be a part of this story. There are so many different parts to this, what we would think of as a very simple story. One that we've heard it a bunch of times. It's, it's amazing to hear, stir some curiosity. But I want us to really be stirred and try to, to, try to picture ourselves in the middle of this story. Before we get to the actual text, I want to give us a little bit of context. In Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, Jesus had been in the, in the desert, and he had been tempted by, by Satan himself. He would used the word of God to resist. And then after that happened, immediately, Jesus goes out and starts teaching. And he starts by teaching that the time has been fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That's his message. That was his message. Repent and believe the gospel. We think of the gospel now. Well, he hadn't been crucified, buried, and resurrected yet. The gospel that he was preaching was the kingdom of God is at hand, and it was standing before them. It was him. It was Jesus. Repent and believe in who I am. I am the Messiah that the Father has promised. I'm here. I'm here now. And he went and he chose his first disciples. He picked his first disciples, Peter and Andrew and James and John, and they they went about Capernaum, and they went to the synagogues, and they began to teach in these different synagogues. And it was interesting and this is the overall emphasis of what I'm really wanting to focus on, however long we're in the book of Mark, is the, the, the power of the gospel, the power of the word of God, the primacy of the gospel. There's nothing more important that Jesus came to earth to do than to spread the good news of the gospel, and then he actually fulfilled it through the death, burial, and resurrection. So the Word of God is what I really want us to be focusing on in the days and weeks ahead as we go through this. And he began to teach, and it's interesting. He went to the synagogues, and they were used to teachers. They taught all the time in the synagogues. The scribes did all this teaching. And we're going to see the scribes. Some of the scribes are present in this story. But the interesting thing was when Jesus was teaching in the synagogue, you know, they're looking at this guy. They're not sure who he is yet. He's somebody from the Nazareth, whoever he is. But it says they noticed when he taught, he taught with an authority. And it says, unlike the scribes, what was so unique about the way he talked and taught? This authority that was recognized by them. We might call it, wow, there was an anointing upon him. I'm sure there was. But he taught with an authority. So even the the people recognized something special here when Jesus was speaking forth because everything that came out of Jesus was the word. The word. Jesus was the word. Jesus is the word. And he spoke. And as he's traveling around, he casts out demons and all of a sudden people start to catch an interest. And who is this guy? And he continues to travel around, and he went back to Capernaum, and he went back to Peter's and Andrew's home, and that's the story about Peter, Peter's mother-in-law being healed. 
So here's this guy that the people are discovering. The demons listen to him. He has authority over them. Disease listens to him. He has authority over disease. And then he's going to be doing some teaching, and all of a sudden they're going to realize he also has authority over the hearts of man also. Well, he was at Peter's house, and after he'd healed his mother, word really spread. And you've got to remember, you know, we're talking a small geographic area. You can imagine when things start happening like this, the things that people have not seen before, word spreads. And it says the crowd started coming, and they started gathering. And he healed and cast out demons until he couldn't do it anymore. And then that night came, and this strikes me, and I'm not going to develop this, but it so strikes me when I read this introduction. It says, they're healing all these people, casting out all these demons. And Jesus, when night finally comes for him to rest, he, he goes off by himself to pray, to be with the Father, to get refueled, refreshed by the Spirit of God. And then the next morning, here come the disciples looking for him, and they finally found him, and they said, Jesus, where where have you been? All the people are looking for you. The crowds are coming and gathering. And if you read this, you know what Jesus said? Let's leave. Let's leave. Can you see a modern-day evangelist doing something like that? Signs and wonders are going on like crazy. And the, you know, the pastor says, boy, stay at our church. This is great. Stay here, stay here, stay here. And the evangelist said, nope, we're out of here. That's what Jesus did. Why did he do that? He tells us why he did that. I have to go to the other cities and teach the word. I have to teach the word, the primacy of the gospel, the primacy of the message. And that's what he did. They went to village after village after village, healing more people, casting out more demons, and teaching and teaching and teaching. And he comes back to Capernaum after being in Galilee, and this is one of the stories you will read if you read chapter 1. A leper comes to him. We all are familiar with leprosy, the disease. You are a total outcast if you had leprosy. And the leprosy comes to Jesus and falls down before him. And there's this famous little interchange between him and Jesus. He says to him, if you are willing, you can heal me. And Jesus, filled with compassion, looks at him and simply says, I'm willing. I am willing. And he heals the leper. And that brings me all the way up to what's been going on, and we get to chapter 2 of the Gospel of Mark. All of it, his fame is starting. His recognition being recognized as this guy, because they don't really know who he is yet. They're trying to figure out, is he... Is he some sort of rabbi? Is he some sort of prophet? Who is this guy? No one's done what he's done, and no one teaches with the authority he teaches with. So the crowds are gathering. So in Mark chapter 2, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. When he had come back to Capernaum, several days afterwards, it was heard that he was at home, and many were gathered together. So there was no longer room, not even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. Now, again, why are they coming? Yeah, the signs and wonders, I'm sure. But what was Jesus doing? He was speaking the word to them. And they came, bringing him to, to him, a paralytic carried by four men. Now is where I want your imagination. If you've, if you've heard this story a hundred times, pretend like you're hearing it for the first time. Okay, first time. Try to picture this taking place. There's crowds. And it says it came to him, four men. 
carrying this paralytic, being unable to get to him because of the crowd. They couldn't get to Jesus. They removed the roof above him, and when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was laying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Probably not what he came for. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about the things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. And he got up, and immediately he picked up the pallet and went out in the sight of everyone, so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. That's got to be a big understatement, doesn't it? And what did he do? He went out again to the seashore. All the people were coming to him, and he was teaching them. So I want you to try to imagine the scene. I'm going to show this short video clip. The points in it that are important are are very biblical. Obviously, there's some creative license taking and filling in the gaps in the story. But I want you to watch this with me. Take just a few minutes. Jesus of Nazareth! I saw what you did to the leper on the road this morning. My friend has been paralyzed since childhood. He has no hope but you. Please, do for him what you did for the leper. your tablet at least. Harry! Is he in danger? I don't know. No, I don't think so. He's got whom in there? Yes. Can you believe we're really here for this? Yes.
You! By whose authority do you teach? Answer me! If you are willing, Rabbi, you know you can't. Hey, I'm talking to you! By whom do you teach? Certainly not the authority of any rabbi from Nazareth. Where did you study? Your faith is beautiful. Son, take heart. Your sins are forgiven. Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right. But I ask you, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven. Or rise up and walk. It's easy to say anything, no? But to show you. And so that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, my son, rise. Pick up your bed and go home. How's your imaginations? Mine's too good. I cry every time I watch this. Can you imagine what was all going on in the different groups of people? Can you imagine what was taking place in the minds of these different characters? The goofy-looking guy sitting on, up there with the two kids, if you're not watching The Chosen, that was Matthew. The guy that stood up there and said, Mary, that was Mary Magdalene. Can you... Can you believe we're seeing this? That was Peter. Nicodemus was the, the Pharisee that didn't say anything. So those of you who have some biblical background, those names and things resonate with you. But I want us to think about what was going on in the minds of the other people. What was taking place? 
we see this crowd jammed to the doorway and you can't hardly hear, but Jesus is teaching. And the crowd is just enamored with what they're hearing. And here are four friends so filled with compassion for their friend who's a paralytic from life, from birth, his entire life. And they're trying to get there and they couldn't because there was a barrier between them and Jesus, the people. There's always barriers between people and the truth and what they need to hear. In this case, it just happens to be the crowd. These four men trying to get their friend to Jesus. Their love for their friend, their compassion for their friend's physical need wouldn't let them be stopped. Try to imagine you're one of those four friends. I should have four of you come up here and be those four friends, but I won't. The first one says, I got a plan. Let's get him up on the roof. And the second one says, what are you talking about? Jesus isn't on the roof. He's in the house. He says, well, we got to do something. Let's remove the roof. The third friend said, what are you thinking? They love their friend. They're not going to let them be stopped. So the fourth friend says, I don't know. You have a better idea? I don't. Let's go do it. So they get up on the roof of the house. Now imagine you're inside. You're listening to this man that people are coming from distances to see and hear, and he's teaching. And his message is the kingdom of God has come. And all of a sudden you hear some crazy noise or footsteps or something up above on the roof, and you wonder what in the world is going on. And But Jesus keeps teaching, and you try to listen, and Eventually, all of a sudden, stuff starts falling from the ceiling. Jesus even stops. He's lost the attention of the crowd. And they look up, and all of a sudden, there's a hole in the roof where there's not supposed to be a hole in the roof. And they're all wondering, what in the world's going on? They didn't know there was a paralytic. They couldn't get close enough to the door to show anybody. Jesus is looking on. The friends are tearing the roof off the house. Whose house was it? What would you have said if it was your house? Hey, what are you doing, man? What are you doing? They're not going to let any of those barriers stop them from taking this man to where they think that he can get help. Compassion was compelling them no matter what. You can imagine what the crowd might have started yelling. And he just kept working. And Jesus, knowing what's going on, stepped back out of the way. Now, I don't know what he did. Stuff's falling from the roof. Jesus stops. Now they're finally lowering the man down. 
I tried to put myself in the position of that guy being lowered down. I've probably been looked down upon my whole life. Quite possibly been ridiculed and made fun of most of my life. And here I am, the center of attention for this crowd of people. What must have been going through my mind? Had he seen Jesus? I don't know. Quite possibly not. But his friends knew of Jesus, and they, they knew. They had faith that he could help them. And the four friends up above, what were they thinking? When he looked at the crowd as, as they're being lowered down, what was the paralyzed man thinking? What are they thinking? I'm so embarrassed. Pull me back up quick. And Jesus just waiting. Mark's, Mark doesn't tell us anything about anything that was or wasn't said. We have no idea if there was conversation. Probably was. But Mark doesn't tell us anything. Matthew really doesn't either. And the man finally gets laid on the floor. Everybody's apparently quiet, waiting and wondering what is going to happen next. Probably could hear a pin drop. And when Jesus finally speaks, he says he sees their faith. That word there to me is critical. He didn't just see the faith of the, the paralytic who had the need. He's looking and seeing these four characters who just wrecked the guy's roof, lowering him down through the hole, believing that Jesus can heal him. Maybe word had really spread about the leper that they'd saw on the, on the road. And he says to him, your faith. I see your faith. That's all we know that he says he saw. And then he looks at the man. And what does he do? Well, we all know what the obvious need is, right? There's a physical need here that needs to be met. But in Jesus, with Jesus, he knows the spiritual need is much greater than the physical need. And the spiritual and the physical needs collide. Instead of healing the man, he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. That's quite a statement for a man to make because only God can forgive those sins. Well, the scribes were quick to point that out, at least in the video. But we know from the text, it appears they didn't say anything. They were all thinking these things in their heart, and Jesus all of a sudden demonstrates he knows the heart of man. And he confronts the scribes. He said, your sins are forgiven. You know, the physical needs that we encounter are great. There are many, many of them. And we should be meeting them as best we can. But we never can lose sight of kind of what Jody was really emphasizing. The spiritual need is so much greater than any physical need. You know, to the Jewish people in that day, they very well could have thought that this man 
had sin. That's why he was a paralyzed person. A lot of the Jewish people at that time and in that culture, if there was something physically wrong with you, you must have sin in your life. That could have been going through their minds. But I don't think that was Jesus' point. I think he had many points to be made. One, he saw the greatest need, and he knew his mission and why he came to earth. He came to earth for the forgiveness of sin of all mankind. That's why he came. But then he does speak, and he confronts the scribes. And I love the way he said it. Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, or get up and walk? I think what he's saying is anybody can say anything. I could look at anybody in here or go sit in any place and have somebody say to me, hey, Mike, don't worry about things. Your sins are forgiven. Anybody can say anything. But Jesus is saying, who's going to say get up and walk? And they get up and walk. And we see from the story and we see in the text that he did this to really prove that he was who he said he was and that his message was the important thing. And the man gets up and he walks. And I love the line, wow, that's pretty cool. We've never seen anything like this. One great understatement. How many of us how how would we respond if we saw something like this? Well, many of us have seen things like this. How has it changed our lives when we see God do something like this? How long does it last? What impact does it have on us? We get all enamored with the physical things, the things we can see with our natural mind, and we forget about the greatest need of all mankind. Sin needs to be forgiven. Through Christ is the only way. The scribes, the crowd, the four friends, the paralytic man, amazing characters in this story. There's so many things that you can pull out of this story. The barriers to people getting what they need. What are the barriers of leading your friend to Christ? What things stop us? What are the barriers in our own life to receiving those things that we sang about in our worship songs? What are the barriers that prevent us from walking in the freedom and liberty that Jesus died to give us? What are the barriers? Sometimes we can't remove them ourselves. Who are your four friends? Brian talked about this in adult Bible class this morning. Who are those friends? Who are those friends that are going to rip through a roof that your need can be met? We need those. Who are you that fourth friends for? There's so many things in the story that we're going to look at, at least some of them in a little bit more detail next week. We can talk about the barriers. We can talk about evangelism. We can talk about compassion. Who wouldn't like four friends like those four guys? Want to go to war with those four guys? 
the determination that they had. So next week, I want to encourage you, if you haven't, or even if you have, reread this story. It's only 13 verses. Reread it. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. What is in this story that God wants us to receive and what he wants us to hear? There's so much there. And I'm going to give a cheap plug. If you've never watched The Chosen, you should. Remember, they all take creative license in these movies and videos. But I have not yet seen anything doctrinally blasphemous or anything like that. But I encourage you, if you're going to watch TV, might as well watch something that edifies. Kind of a cheap shot, isn't it? I know some of you think, those Vikings, they edify. (laughs) Or they tear down. (laughs) So with that, we're going to close. I'm going to close with prayer. I want to remind you again, if you're able to, to support our fire department, that would be great. Heavenly Father, your word is such an amazing thing. Your Holy Spirit brings it to life. It's not just an old story. You bring it to life. Your truths are everywhere in your word. And you've given it to us, and then you've given us the best teacher there ever was, the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray you would draw each one of us to your word in greater and greater ways, to this particular text, but also just to your word, that we would develop an appetite and a hunger for your word that can't even be satisfied, that we would want more and more of it. Lord, your word brings life. Your, Lord, your word cleanses us, sanctifies us. It can't do what the blood of Jesus did. But it brings life. So I pray you would <clears throat> just draw us to it. Speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, speak to each one of us. I pray you would help us to see those things, that we can be that kind of friend, that we don't need to be letting barriers that are really insignificant prevent us from sharing hope and faith in Jesus Christ. Father, that we can be the kind of friends uh, that those four were for that man. So I pray you would bless us today, Lord. Watch over us. Keep us safe. Father, we thank you for your love and your goodness towards us. In Jesus' name, amen.